I'm Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all today as we're digging into a topic that I personally find incredibly fascinating and one that we haven't yet talked about here on the Sakara Life podcast. I'm joined by Graham Nichols today, who is an English author, lecturer, and board member for the Ryan Research Center, and we're discussing his work around out-of-body experiences. Graham is a leading practitioner in the space, and today we'll be digging into his own personal out-of-body experiences, how these can be used as tools to help us all reach greater levels of consciousness and spiritual fulfillment, and we discuss his near-death experiences and how this deeper level of consciousness can impact the way we move through the world and understand our connection to something greater than ourselves. This conversation was so fascinating to me, and I can't wait for all of you to hear. So please join me in welcoming Graham Nichols. Hi, Graham. Welcome to the Sakara Life Podcast. So excited to have you here, as I've told you, I think, seven times already since you logged on. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Well, we like to start off the podcast with one question, and that question is, what is your mission here on earth? Like, what is, what is the gift you're giving? What wakes you up every single day? I think to give people transformative experiences like the ones that have transformed my life and changed from where I came from as a working class kid in, in London, you know, with no money and all of that, and just kind of completely changed my life through having the most incredible experiences that I think we can have, really. So... That's I like giving that to other people. Giving others what you are given. And what are what are some of those experiences? And can you can you tell <laughs> us about, you know, what some of the earliest ones were that brought you to this work? Well, the early ones, my very first ones were spontaneous. I just had these out-of-body experiences um, where I found myself about half a mile from where I grew up and was just literally like floating in the air. At the time, obviously, that was pretty unusual. I didn't really know what to call that or I didn't have any context for it. There was no religion or anything spiritual in my background at all. So I just had this very unusual experience and I was really curious. I was, I was asking myself, what is this? What, what has just happened to me? And sorry, you felt like it was like you're, you left your body and went a half a mile from your house, but your body yeah. was still at your house. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I literally felt, I guess you could describe it as almost being like a a living ghost or something like that. You literally feel like your your spirit or your essence, your consciousness, whatever Mm. term you prefer, has traveled to another location in some other form. But those experiences were very fleeting, but they were enough to spark this interest and make me really curious and want to know what was going on. 
and then that led me down this path of trying to find out what that experience was and then eventually discovering that they're called out-of-body experiences and that millions of people have them some statistics say as much as 15 percent of the population have them just spontaneously at some point in their life so and were you scared when you were a kid how old were you that was about 12 when those, ex I'd had other experiences even earlier, actually, but not out of body experiences. I'd seen apparitions and things like that when I was younger, but, and that was scary, but the out of body experiences, no, I wasn't scared. It was a very positive life affirming experience. And do you find it now at this point, a spiritual practice? these out-of-body experiences? Is it something that you seek or is it something that seeks you? I think I, at the beginning, it was very much about me seeking it once I'd had those initial experiences. But I think now I've got to a point where I allow the experiences to unfold and I allow them to happen to me more than seeking them out in a way. I, I do have many methods and ways that I induce them, but I also like them to just there's a guidance with them. I think that they do take you in their own, on their own journey. So I do think there's, there's definitely a, a deep spiritual aspect to it. I see it as multi-leveled. It can be, it can be about asking questions about the nature of consciousness, who we are, what our life means. It can actually be quite practical and also quite spiritual. So it's got many levels, I think, mm. like, like nutrition and things like that. It can have a, a deeper meaning in your life. And you said that your mission was to help others kind of experience this. So does this mean that, you know, these out-of-body experiences are available to anyone who wants to experience them? I think them? so. Anyone's a big word, but I, <laughs> I, think, I think most people, if they apply themselves, I think it's a little bit like any, any area of life, like learning to play a musical instrument, for example. Some people will become masters. Other people might just be able to play a basic little tune, you know? I think it's a bit like that. But most people, if they apply themselves, will be able to gain something out of it and have some deeper benefit from it. When you work with people to help them experience it, like what, what do you do to help people get there? Because I can imagine, I've definitely had some more than more when I was younger. I feel like the more like my cognitive brain and I like drop into the real world, especially in New York City, the farther I get away from that kind of ability personally. But what what are the tools that you kind of give people to help them go to that sacred place? Oh, well, well, that's a big question because there's so many areas. I mean, I look into redefining the way they live. I look into nutrition. I look into things like hypnosis. I I look into how their sleep patterns are. I look into so many different areas, whether they're more like nighttime people, whether they're more creative or more analytical types of people. I look at all of those different aspects of what makes that person who they are. And then I try to give them tools and methods based around that to help them have those experiences. So it's often a, a deep experience using things like sensory deprivation, meditation, trance work, many, many different approaches you can draw upon. And does it feel like 
a release? Like, do you feel the feeling of leaving your body? Definitely. Or is it much more kind of cerebral? Wow, there's a physical sensation to it. Can you walk me through like what it's like? <laughs> I walk you through my first ever induced experience because I think actually in many ways that was one of the most dramatic ones I had. I'd been trying to induce an experience for a few months and I, I hadn't managed to do it yet. And I was kind of at this point that was almost like getting frustrated with trying to learn. But then just as I got to that point, it was almost like I let go. I let go of the obsession, if you like, with trying to induce the experience. And as soon as I let go of that obsession and relaxed into it, I had this huge surge of energy through my body. I described it at the time as like a bolt of lightning, basically, but with no pain, nothing negative, but the energy of it, the force of it felt like I'd been struck by something of that power. And I just remember all my vision just blanking for a second. And then the next thing I saw was I was looking down at my body from above and my whole body was kind of glowing, not my physical body, this second body that I was floating in was kind of glowing with like a bluish gray sort of energy, like a radiating energy. Wow. And what did you do? So now your, your, your second body is out of your physical body. I don't want to really give them numbers as in priority, but what do you, what do you do? Like, what is your intention when you do this work? Well, when that experience happened, it was very, it, it was just, I, I, I was thinking, oh my God, I've finally done it. That was kind of the, the thought in that moment. Relief. <laughs> in, in a sense. Yeah. And I was just excited and I was kind of looking at my, myself. It's a very strange feeling to look at yourself from another vantage point in that, in that moment. But it was also kind of exciting because I think another thing with out-of-body experiences, I've had this in a lot of experiences that you seem to almost see life is the way I would describe it. When you look at a plant, you can almost see the kind of essence and the energy in the plant. When you look at a, a person, you can sometimes see that in, in them, even buildings, because they have that kind of accumulated energy of people living in them and going to them and that kind of thing. So they almost sort of seem to have an aura in the out-of-body experience. So, so you see all of that. You're literally like experiencing and seeing that life in a, in a direct way. It's almost like you, in this physical body, we're so forced to live in the physical world and the work that you're doing forces a, not force, but I imagine it to be like this force function of there is an energetic body. I mean, we all know it, right? I mean, even if you've ever experienced anything from anxiety to excitement, you know that that feeling has like a physiological effect that we are actually also made of energy, but yet we never take the time to live in the energetic plane. It's always in the physical plane. So is that kind of how you might describe it, where you leave your physical self and you are solely your energetic self? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how it feels. I mean, there's not always a sense of a body. I mean, sometimes it's you literally become almost like a, a sphere of energy or a point of energy or a traveling consciousness or something like that. But it but there's this sense that you've left the, the physical behind and that you can experience everything in a in its purest form. So if, if there's a if we have questions and ideas about is there life after death or is there any 
essential soul to the human body or what is consciousness all these kind of questions you're directly experiencing them in those experiences yeah i was going to ask you what has this work done to your understanding of what we're doing here i guess it's made me feel more of a sense of oneness interconnectedness compassion those kinds of things so it's given me more of a sense of that there is an inherent meaning and value in how we how we kind of interact with the world and how we how we work with other people and things like that so some of the experiences i had growing up which it was there were quite a lot of problems around me when i was growing up in terms of society not in terms of my family i mean like i grew up in quite a poor district of london so i think the experiences gave me a sense of why these sorts of situations can happen and how we can have more of a a sense of compassion so that led me to go vegan then led me to focus more on compassionate work so doing activism against poverty and all these different kinds of things that i got involved with as a direct outpouring really of the of the experiences and the interconnectedness that i that i went through with the out of body experiences that sense of being connected to other forms of life being connected to other people all of those kinds of things come through in the experiences and that's so interesting to hear about veganism are you a vegan now yeah yeah 17 years at this point wow <laughs> Well, I have this this personal theory. I'm sure I haven't made it up and someone else out there has also said this, but I think people are looking for like the one way to eat and there isn't one way to eat. There are many ways to eat, but I think you eat for the person that you want to be. And what I mean by that is we know that plants are airy. They transform sunshine and air where like animals are very earthy. So I can imagine like that eating a, a diet that is only plants or very plant forward, like almost keeps you connected to the heavens more. And I, and I know that from personal experience too. It's like when I'm, you know, mostly plants, I feel very different than when I'm not or you know, I have dear friends who have been raw and vegan for decades and they are some of the most angelic airy people and there's no judgment there's amazing earthy people too, but it's like you eat for the kind of person that you want to be. Do you does that resonate with you? Do you feel like the vegan diet or the plant forward diet is important to your ability to leave your body and do this work? I do yeah I I do think that it benefits and I've I've looked at that statistically with the students that I've worked with over decades and and I've seen that it does have a benefit and actually one of my students just recently started doing a PhD and his thesis is looking at whether there is any correlation between diet such as vegetarian vegan or actually fasting as well whether those have any correlation with psychic ability or psi ability and he he's found that there is that people who eat in that way have more experiences and more vivid experiences and things like that so the science is backing it up basically but i mean it makes it makes a lot it makes a lot of sense to me at least and you teach you have students when you when you teach what are what are your classes like what are your students coming to you to learn is it to learn out of body experiences is it to learn the science behind 
behind the mechanisms? Like, what what is it? Well, I think it's all of it. I mean, I, I'm definitely known for being more on the on the science wavelength because I'm I've actually been in the laboratories and been a bit of a guinea pig, and you know. Can you talk to us about that? What does that mean? <laughs> For example, in California, there's the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Dean Radin uh, does lots of research looking at psi abilities, psychic abilities. And uh, when I was there giving a talk, I, I took part in his uh, micro PK experiment, which is basically trying to influence things on a quantum level, purely using consciousness or psychic ability. I've also done work with Rupert Sheldrake, who's a pretty uh, amazing biologist and also uh, does research into psychic abilities and things like that. And then I also am very involved with the Rhine Research Center, which is in the US as well. And they, they've done loads of amazing research. They, they pretty much uh, were one of the original organizations along with the one in London. So it's really interesting when you do that work because the longest one I did with the Rhine was was we did a study that lasted over officially 12 weeks, but I think we did 14 weeks because we did some test runs as well. So it was literally like 14 weeks of experiments, just seeing if you can change your consciousness using sensory deprivation or, mm-hmm. or if you can do remote viewing or go into an out-of-body experience and perceive something at a different location. And so we did, we did all these experiments over that time and got positive results overall. So it was, uh, I find that really fascinating. I love doing all that stuff. And I mean, the, the place Dean Radin uses, he has this big uh, steel, it's basically like a Faraday cage, but it's a big steel room and you go inside it, it feels like something out of Stranger Things or something. <laughs> And what is he testing for? Like when you say changes your consciousness, are they like measuring your brain waves? Are they measuring your blood pressure to make sure you're, you know, lowering stress? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes they're measuring brain waves, but usually he's just looking at evidence for how psychic abilities might work. What can we do psychically? Like, can we affect things on a, on a quantum level? You know, if you don't do the science, we don't know for sure but he's now repeated that experiment many times and shown that literally our consciousness can have an impact on the on the physical on the physical but on a very like fundamental level so Mm. that's that's huge if you think about the implications of it and we started out by talking about out-of-body experiences but you know now you're talking about psychic abilities can you talk about the intersection of all these things so out-of-body experiences does that naturally lean you toward more psychic tendencies what is the connection we use these words because it it helps us to sort of divide things up and talk about things you know we say telepathy or we say precognition or whatever we've got all these words and out-of-body experiences as, as another category. But to me, they're all part, they all are part of a continuum. The psychic abilities that we tend to refer to, precognition, for example, is seeing something like a future event, but then we have telepathy, which is like mind-to-mind communication. So things like that, we divide them all up, but I think they're probably the same thing. They're probably the same faculties. Mm-hmm. They're part of a, of a whole. And when you go right through to the far end of that continuum, when all of the senses are active, so you've got something like clairvoyance, for example, which is a visual, a visual psychic perception or clairaudience where you're hearing something. 
if you put all of those together and you put all of those sensory experiences together, you end up with basically an out-of-body experience. It's like we can experience them as individual elements or we can experience them as a whole, as a transformative experience. And that's what an out-of-body experience is to me. So it's like a, an umbrella experience that uses all of the psychic faculties in one is how I would describe it. And I know you talk about some of the visions you have. Can you tell us some of those stories of, of the clairvoyance you've had about, you know, I know you talk about the Soho bombings. Can you tell us some of those stories? Yeah, the Soho out-of-body experience, the bombing one was probably one of the most powerful experiences I ever had. I was teaching the G technique, which is one of the methods that I use for inducing an out-of-body experience. It uses physical muscle tension and breathing techniques. So it's a very physical technique. And I almost instantly went into an out-of-body experience and found myself standing on the corner of Moore Street and Old Compton Street, which is in Soho in central London. So I'm standing there looking down the street and I see this explosion burst out from the right-hand side of the street from one of the bars. And then I see this sort of chaos and people running past me and everything kind of goes crazy. And then I feel this emotional wave hit me in the chest and that brings me out of the experience. And I came back to my physical body with this strong sense that this was something that's about to happen. So I told everyone, I wasn't alone because I was teaching the technique. So there were four other people in the room when this experience happened. Wow. So I told them all, I've just had this out-of-body experience and I saw this bombing happen on Old Compton Street. We were in London. They all knew London well, so they knew exactly where I was talking about. And then five days later, exactly what I said actually happened. And there was a bombing on Old Compton Street in a bar in wow. the same location as I'd seen it. So it's a unique experience in the sense that there were people there to witness it as it happened and also that it was extremely accurate. Does it make you feel a sense of responsibility and obligation? Like, I mean, what do you do with that information? It's like, I, I this is going to sound really silly and you might not know what I'm talking about because it's very American, but there was a show. I can't remember what it was called. But it was about this guy and every morning he'd wake up to the next day's newspaper. And so the entire episode was like, how would he prevent the front page tragedy from happening? And so it just brings me to like, do you feel a sense of kind of moral obligation? Because I can imagine like, what do you do with that? You can't like go to the police station and say, well, yeah, can you? No, that's the, that's the thing. That's where it does become like a huge complex moral obligation, actually, because I didn't know what to do with it. I'd never had any experience like that before. This was the first time I'd had anything precognitive. So I, I was really, I wasn't sure of even my own experience because it was a really powerful experience. It was one of the most vivid and intense out-of-body experiences I ever had, as well as everything else that that it turned out to be correct and accurate etc but i didn't know what to do with it because i was asking myself do i even believe in precognition the the rational mm -hmm. side right. of me is saying how can that be possible how can you see something before it happens but then we all know that there's these situations where people have described seeing things before they've happened for 
literally thousands of years. So it's not like this is some new, unusual thing. People do have these kinds of experiences. So I was really confused what to do with it. And then there's the whole issue. If you go to the police and you are wrong or you are like kidding yourself or something, then you've wasted the police's time as well. So, you know, it's a very, it's a very tricky problematic thing to do basically i i i still don't know what exactly the right solution is to that kind of thing i decided to avoid the areas and that's what i did so i told everyone i knew to avoid the area and i i was intending to go to that area to go to an italian restaurant that i actually saw within the out of body experience so i decided not to go to the italian restaurant because i felt oh okay this might this might be problematic. This might be like a warning in some way or something like that. So I decided not to go. And then it happened five days. So I didn't even have very long to warn anyone or tell anyone. Like, after right. And you, like, you anyway. don't know when it's going to happen. So that's the other pressure no. I would imagine is that could have yeah. been a year from now or five years or. Well, I had another experience of the 7-7 bombings, which was a, another terrorist attack that happened in London on, on the 7th of July 2005. So that was another situation where I had the experience. And I same thing. It, they also, both these experiences had a bluish-gray tint to the vision. So that made me very interested in what was going on as well. I started looking into this whole idea of what that color means and and you know, looking into different colors in the experiences and what it might represent and things like that. So that was a whole whole nother area it led me down. But in that particular experience, there was a much, I, I'm not exactly sure of the time frame, but there was a much longer, it was a few months time frame between. But then again, it, it happened as I'd seen it in the out-of-body experience. I don't talk about that one so much because there were no witnesses in the room when that one happened, but, you yeah. know. What does it make you believe about destiny and free will? Yeah, it's very tricky, isn't it? I'm not even <laughs> sure I, I I know what the answer is to those things. I tend to feel that we do have free will or as far as in any practical sense, we do have free will. But I, I think that certain, maybe certain things, once the ball is rolling, something is inevitable that it's going to happen. It's the same way we have the choice, for example, to pick up a ball and throw it. But until that moment, it's not inevitable that that's going to happen. Mm. But once it's once it's left your hand, right. you can then see where it's going to go, where it's going to hit. You know that it's going to hit that window or whatever it is, you know, that you've thrown, thrown it towards and you can't change that outcome in that moment. You're aware of it fully, but there was still a choice either side of that. There was still a choice on what you did before and what you do afterwards. So I kind of see it a bit like that, that some things, once the momentum is in place, is going to happen, but but it's not everything is going to happen. That's how I tend to see it. But I'm not even wedded to that. It could be It could be that things are much more structured than we think because there's this whole idea of retro causation as well that you can actually influence something in the future that affects the past and ideas like this right i mean that yeah that is like (laughs) the quantum theory right like yeah yeah interesting i have to say i appreciate how steeped 
in the mystery you are along with the rest of us, because I could also imagine someone who experiences something as wild and quantum as what you're experiencing might show up here and say, this is what we're doing here. This is what happens when, you Isn't know, that like, what everyone does. Doesn't it get very boring that everyone comes, comes they, with the they, answer. they say, this is the answer and everyone's got a different answer. And doesn't that make it, doesn't that make you question sometimes how come everyone's got these completely different answers about the same thing? So I guess the way I look at it is I'm trying to reduce my belief systems. I'm trying okay. to kind of, I'm refining it down. I see it. I really like the Zen concept of Soshen, the beginner's mind, where mm. you approach everything as if you've experienced it for the first time. You mm. try to kind of look at things new and fresh every single time, rather than getting bogged down in a particular theory. Because I think that we tend to have that, well, it is a weakness, really. We tend to have that weakness in us that we we want to have certainty. We want to know that it's this or that it's that. And I think Unfortunately, that stops us continuing to learn and to experience new things in different ways. And so that's why I try to not do that as much as possible. And I wonder if these experiences have helped you have the, maybe confidence isn't the right word, but it's what's coming up for me, like the confidence to live in the mystery because you've experienced another dimension where I think for a lot of us who haven't or haven't often enough, there's so much fear because you forget or you maybe you don't even know or believe that there is another dimension. And so you have to have the answers because it's like this, this fear-based need to know, which I can empathize with. Are you religious at all? Do you believe in God? No, not really. Are you atheist? Probably would be the. I know. I know that's controversial. I love that you're like the practical, out of body experience <laughs> expert. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm just practical, but I try to look at things in terms of what I actually experience. What I versus the deeper meaning. Well, the meaning comes from the experience and comes from what we what we explore in life. So it's, we've got to go on that journey to really arrive at what the truths are or what might be real or not real. So I'm not, I, I would probably say that I'm always open to possibilities. I would say I'm kind of agnostic, but again, my, my approach of looking at things in a very simplistic way, in the sense of putting them down to their essential core principles i i don't see a particular need or reason to go down the kind of god route um but i know that's controversial in the us it's not here but <laughs> i know but that's an interesting thing about cultures as well yeah. how how we have these different things that we've kind of grown up with and embedded and and when we say god we tend to we tend to believe that we are talking about the same thing which i i guess we're not always there's that whole thing I would be something similar to how maybe a Buddhist would see it, you know. So mm. it's there. There is more than than we know or understand, but maybe not in the sense of a, a creator, but maybe in the sense of like um, different levels of consciousness and things like that. So, which some people might call God, and that's fine. 
Today, I am very excited to tell you about our Super Bar collection. We recently updated our cult favorites, Detox, Beauty, and Energy Super Bars that you all know and love to ensure that we're continuing to deliver on our commitment to providing you with the best tasting and most nutritious products on the market. These are the perfect on-the-go snack and ensure you don't have to sacrifice quality for convenience. All of these newly formulated bars focus on stabilizing your blood sugar, which as you know, because you listen to the Sakara Life podcast is at the core of metabolic health. We have increased the protein in each bar. So it now contains 12 grams. Each bar has 40% of your fiber, which is really important for your microbiome. The sugar has been cut in half, also a part of stabilizing your blood sugar. We have new functional ingredients, things like sea buckthorn oil that have omega-7. They're all USDA certified, no added chemicals, toxins, etc. as always. So our collection has energy. Energy bar is really delicious. It's kind of like this uh, Mexican hot cocoa. It's like chocolate, but it has cinnamon. It contains adaptogenic mushrooms to increase energy and lower cortisol. Our Beauty bars are probably have the biggest change. They went from like a strawberry kind of burst to now these ones are lemon, citrus, and poppy seed. They are so juicy and delicious. Contain sea buckthorn oils I was talking about earlier, enhances collagen production and hydrates the skin. And our detox bar, which I'm allowed to have a favorite, I'd say is my favorite. It has blue spirulina that supports the detox pathways in the body and has sesame seeds, which not only add a really delicious texture to the bar, which is blue by the way, but also contains added calcium and vitamin E, etc. So check out the new super bars. And when you get to the website and you check out, type in podcast 15 for 15% off your purchase. Can I ask you a really weird question? Go for it. Are you extremely tall? I can't tell from... I'm not. No, I'm quite a short ass, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what about... Do you have siblings? I have an older brother, yeah. Okay. And you can totally say you don't answer these questions, but I have this theory that I want to share with you. And when your your mother uh, was pregnant with you and gave birth, like how do you know how her pregnancy and birth were? Like, were they very easy, very difficult? I think I was a bit early, I think. I was supposed to be in August, <laughs> but I was born at the end of July. I had an audience, I believe, as well. You had an audience when you were born? Yeah, I think there was a there was a lot of medical students in the room, apparently. <laughs> so you've been a teacher your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. There's work done by Walter Makachin. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but he wrote a book called Spirit Babies. Are you at all familiar with it? No, I don't think I've read that one. Yeah, there's no need for you to be, honestly. It's, it's like this really kind of teeny book. I think it was his only book, but I read it when I was pregnant with my first child. And he talks about how there are people who are clairvoyant, you know, and can kind of like see the future, see the past. There are people that talk to angels. There are people that can talk to those that have passed. And he learned after years and years of very deep meditation that he actually, 
he, he would have spirits talk to him, but he realized after many years, it was spirits that were about to come into the world. And so he calls them spirit babies. And a lot of his work was helping people who, whether you don't want to have a kid or do want to have a kid is kind of regardless of if you have a spirit baby kind of in your aura. So his whole thing was like, you can have a relationship with your spirit baby before you bring them into the world. Or even if you decide not to bring them into the world, that there's always that um, relationship available to us. And there's something about you that looks to me like you are some sort of like angelic spirit in human form. I don't know if you've ever gotten that before. But I, I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People often ask me if I'm rhesus negative and things like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something it's like. And so he talks about how there are angels that come to live on earth to experience kind of like the karmic lesson of what it means to be in, on the physical earth. And that's not something you can learn unless you come here. And that typically those babies offer really difficult pregnancies. Like maybe there's like a few miscarriages are typically born early. And that's because they're like kind of fighting the physical form. So I was just curious. <laughs> maybe we have oh, to have okay. your mom on the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to understand if it's true or not. Which brings me to the like, what does your family think? Does your anyone in your family have out of body experiences? Like, do you think there's anything genetic here? Um, the only family link of any description was my grandmother used to say very cryptic things to do with, you know, if she she knew something was gonna happen. She had a bit of that side of her, but but not really, no. My family is very, very sort of cockney london working class really you know my dad worked in a in a market my mum was a carer so they're very ordinary they don't have any religious or spiritual angles on anything my dad i would say was non-religious completely like he um he's died unfortunately but he he didn't want to have a religious funeral or anything and are they supportive of your work well i guess your mother now yeah was your father yeah they believed you and yeah yeah but they didn't understand it I think they would often say that to me I don't really understand it but but you know it's your thing it's your (laughs) thing yeah you go for it so that's how they've pretty much always been and has this work made you less afraid of death it has in the sense of afraid of I guess the after part you know but I, I guess it doesn't make you less afraid of how it might happen or you know the what moment that, what, what that process will be like you know I mean everybody obviously no one wants to suffer or experience you know a horrible disease or something like that so obviously that's still not something that I like the thought of like anyone but but yeah I, I think it's definitely freed me from this sense of fear of the void i guess is how people would describe it have you ever felt like any of these experiences have been what death might feel like or maybe on the beginning aspects of it yes because one experience i had with a with a plane crash it it was basically i was in this misty i mean it was very stereotypical in many ways but 
maybe that's for a reason, you know, but it was this very misty, cloudy environment. I was out of my body. I was floating in this misty environment. And then like in a clearing up in front of me, I saw this group of, I, I thought it was about 150 people who were, who were all looking sort of confused and they were moving around, not really sure what was going on. And then some of them, I literally started to see their life reviews, which is a common aspect of near-death experiences or death experiences. What are life reviews? It's when literally the person sees their whole life again, or they oh. see significant aspects of their life. Wow. And one that really stuck in my mind was um, a man who seemed to be seeing his father. It was uh, the, the man, like I could see this man in his mind and this, he had this very sort of leathery skin, like he'd worked outside his whole life. He looked sort of Russian or Ukrainian, that kind of area of, of the world. And he was struggling. He, he seemed to be having this sort of conflict with his, um, with his father. And I felt like he had to let that go before he could move forward. And then there was another, like I think it was a woman over the other side of the group. And she seemed to go through this process very smoothly and easily. And she just passed into mm. the mist and disappeared. Whereas with him, he was really struggling. So there were mm. people having different levels of these life reviews, some struggling, some not. Interesting. Do you, do you believe in reincarnation or like the idea of old souls? Well, yeah, I think there's good evidence for reincarnation for sure. Ooh, I, tell I think. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I mean, before he died, I was friends with a Icelandic researcher called Erlanda Haraldsson, who worked with Ian Stevenson, who you might have heard of. Um, he's one of the famous reincarnation experts and they they did a lot of work and I, I spoke with him at length about some of the cases that they, they investigated children going off and talking to children who in Sri Lanka, mainly who, who had had these experiences where they perceived entire details of their previous life and they would relay them to Erlanda and then they, he would go off and investigate it. And often they found that the details were correct. And even down to things like the person who had died in the previous life might have had been wounded in their chest, for example, and then the child had a birthmark in the same position. Wow. So there were, there were even elements to the stories like that. And I've even interviewed children myself who have had these kinds of recollection. One person who contacted me, his son had a pre-birth out-of-body experience Wow. which I've never, I've never heard of before, but he literally, this little boy described to his father being out of his body, watching his mother having a scan when she was pregnant with him. And he, he was asking questions like, what was the, the funny screen with the kind of white noise kind of stuff wow. on it? And, and, um, and why did, why did mummy start crying? He said to his father. And apparently that was because, she just found out that he was going to be a boy. And so she started crying mm. and he even described that the father had a beard and the father at this point didn't have a beard anymore. So these were all elements that the boy couldn't really have known, but he described all of this to his father. And I interviewed him when he was about, I think he was about eight, something like that. Wow. 
why do you think some people would remember past lives and not others? And and why do you think you were able to leave your body at a young age and not other people? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that the reincarnation factor, when people remember them, there's often a reason like there was something unresolved in their previous life. Many, many cases, a very high proportion of children who have past life memories they will describe that they died unexpectedly. So in an accident or they were murdered or, you know, something unexpected. And so it's almost like they haven't finished what they were doing and therefore they remember that that information or they want to come back. Or that's probably what I would go with if I had to kind of put it down why some kids remember it and some don't. With me, without a body experience is why I had them. That's a tricky one. I don't, I don't know. I, mm. I can't answer that one. But I feel like there was some maybe purpose in my, in my life in that direction because I, I, had, I had visionary type experiences even from around five years old, like seeing like a being in the, standing in the doorway of the apartment that I grew up in things like that. So it started very early for me. I also had memories of, or well not memories, well, maybe memories. I had images of uh, planets and all different kinds of things when I was a kid as well. Yeah, actually, I, that was going to be a question for me. Like, do you, I don't know if you call it astral traveling or what you call it, out of, when you have an out-of-body experience, has it ever been to like other planets or other dimensions beyond kind of our current yeah. understanding yeah i tend to focus on the physical ones just because obviously it's relatable and there's some kind of evidence-based aspect to it that way um but obviously like the one i just described in the cloudy environment was in another level of reality i think probably the early stages of a kind of afterlife level but yeah i've had many experiences in different even to the point where I experienced something, there's a famous painting by Alex Gray. He calls it the universal mind lattice. And it's this sort of huge energy fountain. It's like streams of energy going in like spirals, basically, or sort of almost like a DNA spiral, but with energy. And I experienced floating into the center of something like that. And when I went into the center of it, it was like I could think or experience a million thoughts or minds all Mm. at once. Wow. And I remember in that moment, I literally felt like I could know or kind of be everything, but I was only able to hold that experience, to be in that experience for a for a few moments. And then I came out of the experience again. I, it kind of collapsed on itself kind of thing. So huh. there's those kinds of levels that I've experienced. But in terms of the planets, yes, I've had a few experiences in space as well really beautiful ones like being in the upper atmosphere of the, of the earth just kind of floating there watching the rotation of the earth and literally with the kind of misty sort of upper atmosphere stretching off around me and i remember turning around i was looking towards the earth and so i remember turning around and just looking out at the expanse of space and it was just this kind of pure blackness um and that that was really really beautiful and then also one over one of the moons of Saturn as well. Um, so I was right next to the rings of Saturn and by one of the moons and I 
drifted down over the surface of it it's it's got like a ridge running through it this particular moon and so i was able to go and verify some of the details of the planet as well of that moon specifically so i was able to for myself at least to show myself that i wasn't just like imagining it does it make you feel like spontaneous healing or other you know miracles of that sort are within grasp definitely and i do think there's a there's a healing aspect to our body experiences for sure i think that the vibrational state which is often what people experience before they have an out-of-body experience i think it's very akin to something like a, an energy healing modality so something like reiki or mm-hmm. i think the kind of energy you're experiencing is very beneficial on that level so it has this it definitely changes you i think it it kind of gives you this kind of inner peace and causes this sort of uh yeah just kind of health giving beneficial kind of thing i think and for those that are listening if you want to start to learn how to have these out of body experiences where can the, where can we start well there's a new edition of my book coming out the second book that i wrote navigating the out of body experience there's a new version expanded version of that coming out i also have a a course that includes the whole course plus my book plus my infraliminal technology which we haven't talked about but that's sound technology that i work with that uses low level frequencies and subliminals in order to help people get to the vibrational state that i was just talking about and actually that was really interesting because i developed it purely for the vibrational aspect for helping people have out of body experiences but then a man called amen who started working with it in ireland he found that people who were suffering from different conditions and even things like drug addiction were able to shift their consciousness through working with the infraliminal sound so it also has a a benefit psychologically in that in that way as well so yeah all of those things are on my website so if people are interested they can go and read more and have a look and your book walks us through if we want to induce an out-of-body experience what we can do yeah, the book, the second book does, Navigating the Out-of-Body Experience, but that one is currently unavailable, but you can get it secondhand and stuff. But there's a new version coming out probably in the next few months. Okay. So, but you can get the old edition with the course as well. So. so the last question we always ask is for what we call light work. And Lightwork is essentially homework for everyone listening, and it's homework so that we can kind of connect to, I want to say the sacred within each of us, you know, the light. That's why it's called lightwork. So what is your lightwork for everyone? Well, I, th- I think I would go back to what I mentioned in the interview about So Shen and that idea of the beginner's mind. I think that's the I think that's the thing that I find the most core to maybe my approach to life and and the whole thing of of trying to live free as much as possible, literally and figuratively, but, but in the sense of also how we think and how we interact with the world. It basically means to, to approach every, every action, every, every idea as if you're hearing it for the first time. So when you, when you do something that you do a lot, instead of just, 
repetitively assuming what the answer is try to look at it fresh try to mm. look at it in a new way with new eyes if you do that if you look at things in with this open mindedness and this new fresh perspective you can discover new things about it and you can also discover new things about yourself and it also frees you from from i think the the need to to try and know the answers because the thing is we can tell ourselves that we've got the answer but there's always that thing of we probably don't you know because i think the reality is as well that in life there's so many viewpoints every individual is convinced that they're right <laughs> you know and it's so it so doesn't make any sense at the end of the day like logically mm. to think that and so it's very i think it's a very beautiful thing when you actually realize that you don't have to have the answers you don't need to be like all tied in bows and you know keep Liberating. learning keep exploring that's mm. why i said i i want to teach people experiences because it's the experiences that teach ultimately and give people ultimately the value i think mm. and ultimately are what have changed me in terms of my life practices and my way of living beautiful thank you so much graham this was amazing so happy to have you on the podcast and thank you for all the work that you do you're welcome and thank you Today, we're getting back to the basics of Saqqara. And so we wanted to share a bit about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experience through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program, head to saqqara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A com and for a limited time we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation so use the code podcast 20 at checkout for 20 percent off your first order of sakara life i think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us whether you're a busy professional or a mom I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world. <laughs>